Well, good morning again. Uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Brian Roberts. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at the church and so glad uh, to worship and to declare the goodness and the holiness of our God together. Uh, if you are a regular part of our church family, a cross-rodian as we are known, uh, just always good to worship with you. Always good to see you uh, in this space and to think of you if you are online. Uh, hopefully today is a, a blessing to you as well. But again, if you are newer, maybe this is even first Sunday, uh, special welcome to you. Hopefully you feel more like family and less like a guest when you leave. Uh, hopefully that's our heart's desire and hopefully that is a good thing for you. Um, before we head out on that little tour, uh, I will be uh, uh, just kind of up here and I'd love to meet some people. If you are, are newer, I would love to connect with you a little bit. Uh, wherever you are in your spiritual life with God, we hope that today you could learn to take one step further in your journey with Jesus and that you would can understand the grace and the mercy and the, uh, the life that he has come to enable us to live. Uh, and we're in this teaching series that helps us on that, and that is a, a, we're working our way through the book of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians is not really a book. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches that were gathered in that region to be passed along to encourage the believers in their life with Christ, to know their identity, who they were in Christ, and that that would fuel a new way of living, a way of kind of uh, uh, understanding their life in the world. And it's been handed down to us, this letter has been handed down to us in the Scriptures, and we call it a book, but it's really a letter and we understand it as a letter, as it's kind of an encouragement letter for, from the Apostle Paul to the churches. Now, if you have not been with us, or maybe you have, and you're just going, I can't remember what we talked about last couple of weeks, let me give you a little quick review, overview, because we're in Ephesians chapter 4 today. So if you have a Bible with you or an app on your phone, you may want to uh, get yourself over to, to Ephesians chapter 4. But to kind of catch us up uh, where we've been in the series and where we're going, we began the series with a look at what the Apostle Paul uses, oh, this phrase he uses over and over again, which he says that you are in Christ. And if you were here, if you remember the analogy, the, the metaphor that we gave was as almost like being placed inside of a hand, that you are in Christ and you are covered by the righteousness of Christ and that when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That when we come to faith in Christ, in Jesus, then we are placed in Christ and that we are uh, in his hand, as it were, and we are uh, there, not just a standing, a, a position before God that we are covered in the righteousness of Christ, but in Christ we receive the power to live a life that is in the image of Christ. We talked about that a bunch. Then we looked, looked at the knowledge of Christ, that we would grow in our knowledge of Christ, uh, deeper, deeper knowledge of Christ. We talked about the knowledge of Christ is not just things about Christ, but that we would have an increasing trust that the levels of trust in Christ would deepen and that as we learn to devote our lives to Christ, that we would learn to live transformed lives, that our lives would no longer be in the image of ways in which we used to live, but we would take on a transformed life if we are growing in our knowledge of Christ. Then we looked at the grace of God, that how God's grace has made us alive, called us back to life where we once were, as Paul says, dead in our sin and transgression, but Christ, through Christ, God has made us alive in Christ, that our life is now brought back to an eternal kind of life and through all through the grace of God. And then last week, we talked about the oneness of the church, 
the oneness of the body of Christ, not just a local expression, but the oneness of all of God's people, and that that would establish a beachhead or that would establish a, a, a way which we can be a lighthouse to the world around us. And that this oneness of Christ, oneness of the body of Christ, is not just some nice addition to add a little flavor to our life, but it is actually central to the gospel message that we let go of secondary cultural issues and we hold fast to the central issue of, mess, or of grace in Christ. And that's what we come to now in Ephesians chapter 4. So Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's going to exhort us to maturity in other words, that the Christian walk, there ought to be maturing in our faith. That we ought to be increasing in our conformity to Christ. And this again goes all the way back to what Paul has said to us previously. That our life with Christ is brought to life for a purpose. For significance. Not simply to be placed on a shelf or like a trophy, but to be lived out. And that ought to be seen some maturity in our life with Christ. And so one of the few things you're going to see in our study this morning, you're going to see a few uh, phrases that will come back around. And I want you to take notice of those, how often Paul refers to those, and what that might look like in your own life. So if you're a note taker in your journal, you may want to jot these words down. Or if you're even so bold and you have a paper Bible and you want to circle things in your Bible, you can do that. I'll give you permission. You can write in your Bibles. That's a good thing sometimes to do. But I want you to pay attention to some phrases or some indication that Paul says in this chapter here that make us look like we're going to have maturity in our life. One of the phrases is you'll see at least a couple, two or three times in this passage that Paul says that we are called to a way of life. A way of life. He says it at least in verses 20 and 21. He says it right there that we are called to this way of life. And actually, if you're into like Bible trivia a little bit or Christian trivia a little bit, you would, might want to know that Christians, early followers of Jesus, were not known as Christians uh, at the very beginning. They were actually known as followers of the way. Because they knew, they knew that the gospel message was not just about getting forgiveness and being placed on a trophy shelf for one day later to be redeemed, but it was a way of living that was an eternal way of life. And so these were followers of the way, is what they were called. Not just Christians, but they were followers of the way. So the mercy and the forgiveness that we receive through faith in Christ, the mercy and the forgiveness that we receive, is not meant to be a trophy that we hold on to, but is meant to be a catalyst for a new way of living. A new transformed way of living where we no longer are known by these things, but we're known by a new way of living. So one of these phrases you're going to see in Ephesians chapter 4, you're going to see it all through the Scriptures, but especially this morning, you'll see this aspect of a way of life that Paul is calling us to, right? Following Jesus is really not much, not really all that about just a destination. It's a journey following Christ. In his way, learning to pick up his way of living, his understanding, his values, his perspective, his eternal quality of life in our life right now. So what I'm going to do this morning for us is we're going to, uh, and also I, I told you only one of those phrases, right? Second phrase that you're going to see and you're going to see it throughout here is that there's this notion that we make effort in this life with Christ. That we put forth effort to see maturity happen, 
right? So here's what I'm going to do this morning for us, and hopefully this helps us in our life with Christ. I'm going to read through portions of Ephesians chapter 4. I'll make a few comments, uh, help, hopefully helping us to understand what Paul is really getting at. And then we're going to leave this morning, I'm just going to leave you with one quick suggestion of how to bring this to reality into your everyday life this coming week. So I'm just going to give us an overview and then leave us with one simple suggestion to bring that to practice in our own life. But hold together those phrases that, that we're called to a way of life and that there's effort that is needed in learning to mature in our life with Christ. Fair enough? With all that kind of groundwork laid out, let's get started. So the first thing I want us to notice in this whole chapter here, something I've already alluded to actually, is that there's an expectation for growth. Paul has an expectation for growth in our life with Jesus. So in Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1 through 6, and then we'll pick it up down a little bit further. But here we go. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with each other in love. Make every effort, there's that phrase, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And you skip down to verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So there it is, this growth, this expectation of maturity, right? So the Christian life, and this is central for us to gather with what Paul's teaching us, that the, the Christian life is not simply about getting forgiveness and mercy, but we receive that forgiveness and mercy as a catalyst, as a springboard, and the power to grow and to receive maturity. For the Christian life is a way of living. And effort is needed in that. We are saved by grace, no doubt. And it is absolutely true. We are saved by grace through, through Christ. And we cannot do this on our own. And grace is opposed to earning, to, to making yourself worthy of God's love. Grace is opposed to any amount of our earning, but it is not opposed to our effort to live it out, to practice the grace that we have received. It is opposed to our earning, to our making it worthy, or making ourselves worthy. It is diabetically opposed to that, but it is not opposed to our earning or our effort. For effort is required to mature, to grow. So Paul says right at the very beginning of our passage, or of our chapter, there's an expectation that you put forth every effort to grow and to mature in your life with Christ. And then after this, he tells us, uh, gives us a warning. Because if we don't prioritize growth, Paul tells us there's a, there's a warning, there's a danger of this continuing the patterns of our old kind of ways of living that will result in a disastrous, grave kind of things of our hearts being hardened. 
So the second thing I want us to consider as we pick up in verse 17, the hardening of our hearts, or what I'm just calling the callousness, the danger of having a calloused heart in our life with Christ. We are to put forth effort, and if we don't, we run the danger of having calluses built up around our hearts. So pick it up in verse 17 to 19. I tell you this, Paul says, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, for they are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. When you don't purpose yourself, Paul says, towards maturity and towards growth, towards a new way of living, and rather you, you perpetuate the old ways of living, then we will be separated from the life of God and that will have grave eternal consequences. And we will lose all sensitivity and we'll be cut off from the source of life itself and we'll find ourselves indulging in all sorts of impurity and sensuality just for our own sake. And that would be, as Paul says, toxic for our souls and for the souls of those around us. We will have calluses or hardened hearts and we will not be able to love well, to receive love well, to be Christ well because we've hardened our hearts. We've calluses built up. When I was a youth pastor some years ago, I played the guitar. I knew how to play. I learned to play the guitar. Not really well. Not good. I mean, I could get by, right? I could, I could get by. But part of learning to play guitar is you end up building up calluses on the front of your fingertips, on at least the top four of your playing hand. You build up these calluses after a while because it hurts to push down these strings down. And so you have to build up, you have to push through the pain and build up these calluses so that you can play the guitar. And I did. And I would do it for, for years. I played guitar. And my good friend and I, one of my best friends, uh, he and I played, he was a youth pastor with me. And we would play our guitars together and we'd build up calluses. And we were almost proud of the calluses that were on our fingers. And because we were bored some days, we would take thumbtacks and just shove them into our fingers and just kind of push them in there all the way down to where the thumbtack was just touching, like just all the way, all the metal part, point down, right down my finger. And I'd say, look, Holcomb, I can do it. And I'd just shove them right down. Couldn't feel a thing. They were just calloused over. Couldn't feel a single thing. Just shoved these thumbtacks in there. Can't do it anymore because I have not played in a long time. I actually did at home. I tried. I put it a little bit and it hurts now. So don't do that. But I had built up calluses over my fingers, and to some degree, I, I needed to because I was going to play the guitar. And if you're going to learn to play guitar, you're going to have to work through that, right? But at some level, there was a loss. I mean, it was kind of a minor loss, but it was there nonetheless. I could not feel at the tips of my fingertips. I know people who have worked with their hands a lot and they've built up calluses on the palms of their hands so much that it's like leather on their hands that they can't feel as soft or as nice as what they once were able to. Now, it might be a minor, small loss, but there's a loss nonetheless. When calluses build up, there's a loss, a loss of feeling. And my fingertips, they inhibit the goodness that my fingers were meant to touch and feel and to enjoy and I couldn't do that as well. Paul is saying that the same thing 
can happen to your heart. Calluses can build up around your heart. If you are not purposing to put on a life of conformity to Christ, then calluses can build up around your heart. And this is not a minor thing. This isn't a minor thing of just fingertips of playing the guitar, but the calluses that are built up around your heart, for your heart is the very core of your essence of being, where you can love one another, where you can be loved by someone, where you can love God, where you can be loved by God. And if we allow calluses to build up around our heart, we lose all sensitivity to what we are made for and how we are, how we are wired. We, we cannot live a life devoted to God, receiving His love and His mercy in my life because I have a hardened heart. I can't love others well. I can't receive love from others well. Why? Because I've allowed my heart to be hardened. Calluses have built up around my heart. And Paul says, if we don't purpose yourself to learn a new way of living, then you continue to perpetuate an old way of living, then you will have a hardened, calloused heart that will be hard to penetrate with any love from anyone, even the love of God. Recognize that he's not speaking to people who don't know the love and grace of Jesus. He's speaking to Christians. Because the Christian life is not just about receiving forgiveness and putting it on a trophy case to be redeemed later. It's a pattern of life now where your heart is receptive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. You don't have a hardened, calloused heart. Paul says there's a danger here, friends. If you don't purpose yourself to put forth the effort to grow into maturity, there will be a calloused, hardened heart. And you might be able to be successful in the world's eyes. You may have lots of pleasure during your day, but it will come at a high cost. For you can go through all sorts of sens sensuality and indulge in all sorts of impure behavior, and you may enjoy it, and you may have a good day, and it may enjoy it, but it will cost you a hardened heart. And then Jesus asks, asks us that rhetorical question, Mark chapter 8. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Paul says you can go after every sensuality, every indulging, everything that you can ever possibly want. And you may enjoy some things along the way, but at the cost of hardening, calloused heart where you simply cannot know the grace of God and the forgiveness and you cannot love well, you cannot be loved well. If we don't purpose ourselves, if we just gratify the, the nature of our sinful desires, there will become a hardening of our hearts, hardening to the ways of God, hardening to the voice of God, hardening to the, uh, to the love of other people. And you cannot know and you cannot experience the life that God has called us and brought us to live when our hearts are calloused over. Our hearts are calloused over. I'll say it again, the Christian life is not about receiving forgiveness and placing it on a shelf, but it's a way of living. It's learning a new pattern. It's learning the new way in conforming to Christ, modeled and fueled by the grace of Christ. It's known for its kindness and its compassion, a way of putting others first, way of loving others 
receiving love, loving God and adopting his way of living in this world. That is the follow. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means to be a follower of the way, if you will. And that's what Paul is reminding us to. So he, he tells us that there's an expectation of growth and he warns us about not purposing towards growth because there will be this calloused, hardened heart. And then he reminds us of who we are called to be, of our identity. So the third thing we see here is we are called to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. Conformed into the likeness of Christ. So pick up in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, but to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Being made right is an act of God. Being made new is an act of God. We are saved by grace through faith and is not of ourselves. That is a true statement. We are trying to memorize that in our study here. That's true. But that doesn't mean that it's not a, that's a passive life. For this life with Christ is a cooperative one. Requiring our action to live into the life that Christ has called us to. And this new life, as we put off the old and begin to put on the new, one that is meant for his righteousness and holiness, it doesn't come automatically. This new life doesn't happen because we said a prayer one time. You don't go to bed angry and, and spiteful and say a prayer and wake up in the morning and it, all of a sudden you're Christ-like. Like some genie just waves his hand over you and all of a sudden everything goes away and it changes in a lightning strike. But our life with Christ is progressively maturing, where we're learning to increasingly take off that which is being uh, corrupted by our deceitful ways and to put on the new one. Do you see this effort that is required in a life with Christ? Effort to take off and effort to put on. Not earning, not earning, but effort that is required. Our part is to recognize when we have been living through our former deceitful ways. And to repent of that, to put that off again, to, in some more dramatic language, to die to that self again so that I can be renewed to life in the way of Christ again. Diedrich Bonhoeffer in his wonderful book, Cost of Discipleship, says that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It is this dying to my old self. It's this dying off of my old ways. And this is not a once and done kind of decision, but it's an ongoing perpetual decision that I make on a daily basis to take off, to die to my old ways, that I may be brought back to a way of life. When Christ calls a person, he calls him to die to his old self, that we may live. We may live. So Paul tells us this aspect of growth. He calls us to, to be remindful of the danger of having a, a calloused heart. And then he reminds us of who we're called to be, this conformity to Christ. And in Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 31, he actually tells us what are these things to put off? What are these aspects to put to death in our own life? And this is by no means an exhaustive list that Paul says. It's just meant to be illustrative to what does it look like to take off the old 
ways of living. So starting in verse 25, listen to what he says. Therefore, because of this, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. And in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, who, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Now again, this is not an exhaustive list, for there are other aspects of myself that needs to be taken off, to be put to death. But Paul says falsehood, grudge-holding, stealing, fighting, gossip, slander, those are all part of the old, dying, deceitful ways because they're primarily about us. They're primarily about me. Because when I indulge in those things, then I give the devil a, a foothold. And before I know it, all of my life and all of my desires will all be centered on me and about what I want, when I want it, and whatever makes me feel good at whatever cost. And so then I will use anything and anybody at my disposal to get what I want and to feel good for me because it's about me. Paul says that kind of living cannot experience the abundance of life that Jesus calls us to give, where we learn to love others, where we learn to receive God's love, and where we are being conformed into the image of Christ. Where we're not experiencing pervasive peace or abundant joy in our life might be because we are still harboring old patterns of our life for far too long, of anger, of bitterness, of resentment, of grudge-holding. And we're holding on to those things, and it is impeding our maturity towards Christ. It's impeding on us. So Paul says, you need to take that off, for it will stop you from experiencing the life that God has called you to do. The effort that is required to acknowledge it, repent of it, and to take that off that I may live new, right? And then Paul closes the section with a, with a picture of what these habits of a growing life may look like, what these habits may look. These are evidences that we are progressively being conformed into the image of Christ. And again, this is not an exhaustive list by no means, but he begins to paint a picture. If you were to take off these old ways and pick up the ways of Christ, what might that look like for you? It's a picture that he would give you. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, he ends it this way. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Again, not an exhaustive list, for he'll have other things to instruct us along the way. But for this morning, it's kindness, compassion, forgiveness, Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. These are a pattern of living that is consistent with the way of Christ. These are things that are consistent with the character 
of Christ, what we see in Christ. So how do we do that? If the call is to grow and to to do the effort to not have a hardened heart to take off the old and to be able to put on the new, what does that look like? How do we do that in our life? And unfortunately, oftentimes, we focus on the things to avoid. If you just stop doing those bad things, then all the good things will happen in your life. If you stop being angry or grudge-holding, then all of these good things will flow into your life. But that doesn't happen necessarily. Necessarily just stopping one thing doesn't necessarily mean that the good that we are meant and created to live will automatically come into our life. There's effort that's required on this part too. Change doesn't happen because of omission. Change happens because of replacement. Not by avoiding, but by replacing new habits. Replacing the old with the new. Picking up new ways of living and practicing them. Putting effort into them. And in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, eventually we will see progressiveness towards the image of Christ. And the former way will be nudged out by the patterns of a new way of living. So here's my one suggestion for you this week. Nothing off the charts, nothing like earth shattering. You're going to go, brag, that's, that's all you got for me? That's, this is it? This is simple. Yeah, it's simple. Here's the simple suggestion that all of us can do. Practice kindness this week with one person. Choose one person that you're going to intentionally practice kindness every day this week. Right? I'll give you a pass on everybody else. You don't have to be kind to everybody. Don't get overwhelmed and don't go, oh, i got to be kind to everybody, even that person. Just one person. Just one person. If someone's in your family and they go, hey, Brian said you're supposed to be kind. You're not my one person. <laughs> I got one and you're not him, you know. Just choose one person. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't get super conflicted by it. Just choose one person that you can practice kindness with at least once a day to be intentional to pick up the way of kindness, to, to forgive them, be nice, be gentle with them. Maybe send them an encouraging text message that they might need. Just choose one person this way. I know, I told you, it's not earth-shattering. It's simple. But it's these small practices that we can grow into the image of Christ. One person every day this week, the same person all week, that you intentionally practice kindness. Choose them. Choose their way, Right? And if you do this, I think, if you choose to do this, you will see progressively growth in your heart towards Christ's likeness, towards the conformity of Christ. So just ask yourself, how can I extend kindness to that person this week? Right? Let me pray for you and pray for me as we go this week. Jesus, we are grateful for the forgiveness and mercy that you've extended to us, the kindness that you've given us. But we also recognize that we take that for granted and that sometimes we need to be reminded to take steps towards others that reflect you. So Father, this morning I just pray that you would take away all the things that don't reflect you, but as we replace them with kindness, 
with forgiveness, with encouragement this week, would you ever so slightly transform us into the image of your son that we would experience the eternal life, the quality of life that he has come to give us? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.